What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Fish Lift Eat podcast. My name is Casey. Thanks for tuning in with us again today. Uh, joining me today is a is a guest. I'm really looking forward to uh, you know sitting around and and chopping it up with. You know we've we've kind of had to we've had a lot of fly fishing content here lately, and you know for those that have been listening to us for a while, you know that's not exactly my forte. Um, so joining me today is Trip Nugent. What's going on, Trip? Not much. Thanks for having me. Well, I won't. Um, I won't spill a whole lot of beans on your on your background and and what you do and and why I'm so excited about having you on here. But um, for just a little bit of info, you know, Trip is he's a tournament angler, tournament bass angler, um, fishing the fishing the Bassmaster series. You know, the EQ, so that's the elite qualifiers trying to make it into the make it into the elite series with the big dogs so we're just gonna we're gonna get to talk about some good bass fishing today and i'm i'm looking forward to it yeah yeah me too i'm excited uh excited to sit down and get some of these thoughts out of my brain because i you know in the off season all we do is sit around and think about going fishing again so it'd be good to get some of this out maybe i'll get some sleep tonight <laughs> <laughs> absolutely you know it's, it's funny today i actually you know behind my behind my screen right here it looks like an absolute train wreck because i actually pulled my boat in the driveway and um you know in my head i was going to start organizing tackle and getting it ready because you know next week i'm actually heading up uh into south carolina going to start pre-fishing a few a few lakes that that are on the schedule this year that that i've not spent a lot of time on so i'm gonna go start scanning around and piecing some stuff together so i was like well I'm gonna, i'll start on you know cleaning the boat getting it back organized and i'm kind of a i'm kind of a wuss when it becomes cold weather and i don't want to sit yeah. out on the deck of my boat outside so it's just all you know it's a tackle shop bomb has gone <laughs> off in my, in my room in here rods and and tackle trays and all that but it's all right it, it gives us a way to stay in tune with it through the off season that's right it gives you something to do yeah i'm uh so i'm bad about being out in the cold too i can't stand it you know it, it don't necessarily bother me whenever you know in january gets here and in tournament season kicks back off and we're actually on the water but uh yeah I, I don't i don't care a whole lot for it whenever you know having to sit out there and rig rods and you know organize tackle and all that mm -hmm. yeah so trip tell us a little bit uh Give our listeners a little bit of little back bit of background about yourself, you know, kind of how you got into fishing <laughs> and then how you got into tournament fishing, what you're doing currently and and where you planning on being in the future. Okay, okay. Uh so I grew up in uh in South Alabama uh in Mobile actually and uh, I had my grandparents lived about 2 hours north of there and uh, so I grew up kind of spending summers and weekends during hunting season with them on the farm. And uh, that's where I learned how to fish. But down there at the time, there wasn't a lot of bass fishing going on that anybody in my family was doing. So I learned how to fish, catching brim and bluegill and catfish and really whatever would bite out of the Tennessee Tom Bigby River and uh, or Tennessee Tom Bigby Waterway is what they call it. And uh, I didn't really get into uh, to bass fishing until much later. Um, I went to, after high school, I went to the University of Alabama. Uh, and then after I left Alabama, I went to work for the sheriff's office in uh, Northeast Alabama for Etowah County. 
Uh, and I kind of got in with some guys there <clears throat> around the law enforcement community who were also big bass fishermen. You know, the uh, the Coosa River runs right through the middle of Etowah County there. And so we had Weiss Lake and Neely Henry. That's really where I learned how to fish. I fell in with some guys that really enjoyed it. And the tournament bug kind of bit me. Um, I'd always been very competitive in nature, uh, but riding night shift in a patrol car for six or eight years kind of puts the pounds on you and you get lazy and you're not really doing any sporting events anymore. But fishing seemed like something that I could compete in without having to stay in shape. So that's where I went. And uh, I kind of never looked back. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's not as uh, it's not as physically physically grueling as some, but there's also sometimes where uh, where I definitely feel like I need to to tighten a few things up whenever, especially getting into some of these multi day tournaments and stuff. It'll uh, uh, it'll yeah. wear on you a little bit. Yeah, yeah, I'm starting to feel that now. I'm almost forty, and I swear. Every time I wake up to go fishing, I swear there's a new ache or pain or muscle I've never felt before that needs working out. So this is where I could really plug like our training programs that we've got over at Hunt, Lift, Eat. You know, you can get on there and get you fixed up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I did actually, when I first started following um, the Hunt, Lift, Eat um, guys, I ordered the one of those programs, like the... the uh, it's like the very basic one they've got, like Couch to Mountain or something like that. I, remember, yeah. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, mm -hmm. I did it for a little while. I enjoyed that um, that type of – I've always been that way. I've been a hunter longer than I've been a fisherman, and I really love being outside. I tell people all the time, I can't, I can't be a trail runner. I can't be like a mountain biker. But if I'm after – if I'm trying to kill something, I can go for hours and hours and hours and never slow down. It doesn't bother me at all. But if I'm just out there trying to exercise, it's uh, it gets tough on me. Yeah, it's different when you got a little bit of bit of drive and wanting to go after mm -hmm. something. Yeah, the blood thirst, I think, is what does it. So, where, um, how old were you? Would you say whenever you fished your first tournament? You know, if you, oh, you got into uh, it later. Yeah, so I fished my first tournament on Neely Henry as a co angler in 2000 and. So I graduated in 2007, went to work. I I would say it was probably the spring of 2009. Okay. I fished a tournament on Neely Henry, Henry as a co-angler, and uh, I had only been fishing for a couple of months, and I think I came in like eighth place or something, and it wasn't a huge tournament. I think I made four or $500, something like that, and, man, it was like – just blew my mind. I was like, you can make money doing this. And I, and I just like lost it. I spent, I had that money spent before I got back to the house. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's worse than any drug. I think is the first time, um, you walk away from a fishing tournament with a check. It don't matter how much it is. There's no you doubt. Know, I can remember. So like my first tournament was like a Wednesday nighter on mm -hmm. a, and I was, I mean, I didn't have a boat. I didn't have anything. And, mm -hmm. um, I just knew a lot of guys in the area and I could, sh I'd show up. I was, I was like 13, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I was 13 or 14 and, you know, would show up and somebody would always, you know, be solo or something. And I just jump in the boat with whoever. And, yeah. uh, yeah, I can remember the first time when, when we won, I didn't even have enough money to like split entry fees or give gas money or nothing. Like these guys were awesome and would just let me fish with them wherever I could. And, um, 
I'll never forget one of them split the split the winnings with me whenever we won it, and that was I still have that bug. Like I'll never I'll never get over that feeling. It doesn't matter what level I get to. Oh yeah, it's all about. Yeah, I think what I like about it. The only thing I like about it more than the than the uh, just the competitive atmosphere of it all is that it's it's one of those places that you just can't you can't help but learn something new. Something surprises you that you didn't have any idea about, you know, before. Uh, I've got a quote on the front of my boat that says, uh, it's the second part of my favorite saying. My favorite saying just of all time is that um, no man ever steps in the same river twice because he is not the same man and it is not the same river. Or it is not the same river and he's not the same man. That's one of my favorite quotes. And I've got, uh, for for it is not the same river and he is not the same man quoted on the front of my boat. And uh, I just, I really believe that. I really believe that anytime you get on the water, you're in a different place than you've ever been uh, inside your brain and where you're, where you happen to be standing. And it's just easy to learn something new. It seems like every time you go. And so uh, I think that's what really attracts me to the sport more than anything. Yeah. Oh, that's for sure. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of hit that hit that roadblock too, whenever they're trying to, to progress as an angler, you know, when you start having to, you know, look at stuff through a new unbiased perspective, you know, even if it is on your home lake, you know, that thing's changing year after year, conditions are changing day to day. And, you know, when people get kind of, kind of stuck in their, you know, in their old habits, you know, it prevents us from, prevents us from, you know, getting better and gaining new experiences and knowledge and, you know, ultimately, you know, becoming that, that well-rounded angler that it takes to, to compete at a high level. That's for sure. That's for sure. I learned a lot about that this year. I, you know, um, this was my first real season to take a, um, a long, hard trip on the road and, and spend a bunch of time fishing tournaments with a, with a goal, like making the elite series. And I, um, I took, I learned a lot of lessons. I felt like I took several of them right on the chin, you know, because that's a, that's a group of uh, 200 of the the best anglers on the planet. There's no doubt about that. And yeah, uh, every one of those guys can catch them. Every single one. Of every them. one of them. There's not, a, I, that's what I learned. You know, I started out at the beginning of the season. I was like, well, you know, some of these guys probably just had some money to burn and they're just throwing it at it because they love to go fishing. And that's really not the case in the EQs, especially that was, uh, the first lesson I learned was that was 173 guys that absolutely know how to catch fish and they just mm-hmm. went out there and found them. There was nothing. Yeah. You did not find fish that somebody else didn't find. There was no place safe on any of the lakes we went to. Uh, and it was a learning curve for me for sure. Yeah. So just, just for our listeners, um, you know, those 173 anglers that he's talking about, the EQ anglers, those guys are fishing nine tournaments across the country for nine, for the top nine spots. The top mm-hmm. nine get to go on and compete at the Bassmaster Elite Series. But out of 173 people that are traveling all across the country competing at these high-level tournaments, they're fishing for nine spots. So just to yeah. you know, put, put that in perspective, like there, these are, there's 173 people, you know, that, that have that drive and have that, you know, you know, self-confidence that they can go out and, and perform at a high enough level to, to be, be one of those top nine and, and progress on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's nice. So what, uh, 
did you fish any any previous type trails you know uh, with a major organization or anything or did you just jump straight into the opens yeah no i've been kind of working my way up for a for a long time i um i fished as a co-angler for a couple of years in the bfls and uh on the uh the aba the american bass anglers uh trails the uh, they've got they had an open series trail that mm-hmm. you could jump in as a co-angler and then uh and that's ultimately where i started out as a boater also is just uh seemed like a good place to get my feet wet and i had a little bit of success as a co-angler there and um was comfortable with that crowd it's still very regional and localized and so I, you knew you know a bunch of the other boaters and stuff in in your area and those tournaments you're fishing so i felt comfortable there um and then i at while i was doing that that was probably eight years ago i think when i swapped over to the boater side and um while i was doing that i jumped in a couple of uh bass opens and uh at the time costa series tournaments with uh flw mm-hmm. as a co-angler just to kind of see gauge my abilities in that at that level uh, and had some success there i had a fourth place finish as a co-angler in the Bassmaster Open on Chickamauga in 2019. And uh, ultimately, that's when I decided that I could probably fare well as a boater in those as well. And so the next year, I think the uh, that was around the same time that FLW was um, – or that MLF came along and then ultimately purchased FLW and, and, you know, that big paradigm shift that we've all been just in awe of for the last five or six years. And, right. um, so that next year, uh, the Costas went to the Toyota series and they had a tournament, they had a division that was just right here in my backyard. Uh, and so I fished those as a boater. So I did that for, uh, like one division for a couple of years. And then I think I did two or three divisions for a couple of years. And then ultimately um, when you sit down and look at it all and you get really serious about wanting to do something like that for a living, it's uh, it feels like, I, and I don't know if some of it's just nostalgia, how you grew up, what you grew up watching on TV or, you know, what you, how you kind of feel about all the different tournament trails, but it just, felt like to me that if I was going to make it to the top, that the elite series is where I wanted to be. And so when they, I was already kind of leaning towards moving from Toyotas back over to the opens and trying my hand there. And then when they announced the, the new EQ division last year, I just couldn't, I couldn't say no to it. So, uh, and I think that's where I'm at. I'll either, uh, I'll either make the elites through the EQs or I'll just run out of money or die on a river somewhere. So I was going to bring it up and ask you what what your thoughts were on it, but now that you already kind of mentioned it, you know, this was the first year that Bass kind of switched to that EQ format. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it kind of, you know, I guess depending on how you want to look at it, it kind of made it a little more difficult to make it to the elites uh, through that format. Um, What was, I mean, I know you said that that was kind of a, a selling point for you. I was, I've talked to some guys, you know, that, that were kind of discouraged about it because, you know, a lot of people don't have nine weeks vacation that they can take off through the year to be able to go, to go pursue that kind of thing. So. Right. I mean, yeah. I, um, I knew it was going to be tough and uh, just recognize it as that. I think that Bass did a really good job of explaining their position 
uh, when they first, you know, they didn't really shy away from why they made the decisions they did about how they wanted to uh, begin to welcome folks into that that arena of the Elite Series. Mm-hmm. And they'd been under scrutiny and um, just a lot of just a lot of lip service really over the last few years about the way they were letting people make it to the elites on a, in a three tournament division. And then those guys, not all of them, some of them did have done really well and were able to stay there. But several of those guys who made it through those single divisions made it to the elites and then, you know, found out that they didn't. Yeah. They're there for a year and then they're right back down in the opens and they, whether they didn't have the support from home or they didn't have the money or they just didn't honestly just didn't have the energy that it took to travel for 11 or 12 weeks out of the year just to keep up with all that stuff. And, um, and so I think it was a good move on their part. If for no other reason, than it shows us all what it's going to be like. I mean, there are no, uh, you can't really have any reservations about it, whether or not you'll be able to make it on the elites. If you are able to qualify for the elites, by fishing all nine tournaments. I mean, you're, and really there's been a lot of talk in some of the pros that have come back. Um, I can was talking about it on a podcast the other night that if he had had to, you know, when he, when he made the swap back from MLF, went back to bass, he only had to do it through one division. Mm-hmm. And he felt like it was even a, even a, a harder thing to do because he only had to be focused on three tournaments to get there. And it's hard to stay on to really be good um, through nine tournaments. You're talking about every season that we go through. You're talking about, you know, four or five different regions of the country and every different species of fish. And it's just, uh, or at least black bass. And um, it's a difficult thing to do. Yeah, for sure. You know, I've heard many of many guys that are on the elite series right now that anytime that they talk about the opens, all I hear them calling, it's just the gauntlet, you know, the the gauntlet that the, that the opens is because, you know, for every reason, like you just mentioned, the, the on the water stuff's one thing, you know, competing against those guys is as good as they are, but then just the, you know, it's gotta be grueling, you know, loading up and, and driving across the country like that, spending that much time, away from home, away from family, you know, away from your life to chase this dream that, that we all have. And, you know, I think that's a, that's a piece that, that doesn't really get mentioned a whole lot. Um, you know, it was kind of the, the mental toughness that it takes to, to, to stay focused on that because, you know, you might be, you know, flipping for largemouth in, in Florida today. And then in the back of your head, you got to be preparing for, you know, smallmouth in New York or smallmouth up towards Canada and then, you know, meeting somewhere in the middle, fishing some heron lakes for spotted bass. Like, you know, it's, it's always changing. And, uh, there's just, there's so many factors that go into it that, that I don't think the normal person or even the normal angler realizes. Mm -hmm. So my hat's off to you for, for taking that on. Cause that's a, I mean, that's a, that's an awesome thing to do. Well, I appreciate it. I don't, it's like the only, you know, I tell people I spent, um, I guess right at 16 years now in law enforcement and people, every time somebody comes up to me and says, thank you for your service, or we appreciate what you did for us. My response has kind of always been, you know, it's really the only thing I was ever good at. You know, I got out of college and I started doing it and, and I was good at it. And so 
I just kept doing it forever. And fishing seems to be the only other thing that I've found that I'm, that I feel like I'm pretty good at. And so I don't know what to do besides just run full steam at it till I run out of steam. So, right. um, my wife yeah. says if it wasn't hard, I wouldn't do it. Well, if it wasn't hard, you wouldn't appreciate it at the end anyway. That's right. You know, that whenever you get to stand there on the stage after the, the last EQ and, you know, and hold that little plaque that, you know, says whatever your elite, you know, elite series member, that's, that's mm-hmm. going to make all that, all that hardship a lot more sweet. Man, I can't even, I can't even imagine what that's like. You know, those guys, the guys that made it this year, several of them are really young, much younger than me and didn't even like, they haven't even, I make the joke that they didn't, they haven't even had the time to grow up watching the elites like I did, you know? I mean, I watched them for 30 years before I made a run at it and they, you know, it's just, uh, I, I really can't even fathom what it would feel like to stand on that stage at the end of the year, knowing that it's something like that. Some, a door like that was opening for me the next season. Um, but one day I'll know. You'll get there. I'll let you, I'll, I'll come back and let you know what it feels like. Yeah, so we're going to go ahead and get it scheduled now so that this time next year when the EQs <laughs> wrap up, you know, and you're trying to figure out how you're going to, you know, when you're booking your Airbnbs and so for the Elite Series, what that'd be for the 2025 Elite Series. Yeah, the um, 25 season. We got we to gotta have you back on to, uh, to have a little bit of follow-up to this because hopefully by that time I'm making travel plans to go fish the All-American too. Yeah, there you go. I don't know. I think that would probably be the greatest comeback in history of, of any any sport comeback you've ever heard of. Because if, if you followed me at all this year, you'd see that it was a pretty dismal performance on my part. But like I said, I felt like I I felt like I learned a lot of lessons, and I'm I think I'll be considerably more dangerous, at least to the fish next year. Absolutely. So you know, with all your time spent on the road at all these different different fisheries and all that you probably got a couple good good stories from it or you know what what were maybe a couple of your highlights from your from your season this year um i tell you what this season was really um was really kind of a grind for me and i um i would say i know that i went i know it's weird to it's weird to say it out loud because you think when you're in a in a group of guys like that, you think that you're able to catch a limit every day. But um, I went from uh, the first tournament of the Toyota Series in 22 at Okeechobee was mm-hmm. the last time I weighed two limits of fish on back-to-back days uh, until we went to the Harris Chain in early October this year. And so – going through all those tournaments and either catching one or two good ones on the first day and not being able to fill out a bag or catching a limit the first day. And then the second day something changes and everything fell apart. It was just, uh, it was a very, I began to feel very snake bit. Like maybe it, maybe it was me, you know? And, um, so I learned to kind of work through that adversity and, and, try to figure out, try to understand better what it was that I wasn't keying in on that I needed to pay attention to. And so I finally was able to bring it all together. And, um, at the Harris chain, 
uh, this month or, or well, it's November now in October. And, uh, I was just super proud, man, to weigh two, two limits, two days in a row. And I felt like I'd worked really hard for those fish. Um, so that was kind of a small, like a small win for me. And it felt, it just felt really good. So that was probably one of my favorite moments of the season was dropping that bag on the second day. Um, and then, uh, I'd say probably the only other one that sticks out in my mind is, uh, <clears throat> day two at, uh, where was that? But you follow Oklahoma, you know, that tournament was suit was just really difficult. I think that lake had, we, there were several of us that had trouble in practice, finding anything over a pound and three quarter fish, something like that. And that, that lake has about, I don't know, like 12,000 floating docks on it. And I think I fished 7,500 of them during practice. I mean, right. it was like, I just flipped docks for as long as I could. And I knew I had a couple of areas picked out where I had had some, some better bites and it was just like a grind and it was hot and the fish weren't biting well during the tournament. And, uh, I had, I thought that I had beat that snake bite. I weighed a limit on the first day, went out the second day, had four fish and 15 minutes before I had to run back to the weigh-in, I hook into one that was every bit of six pounds is the biggest fish I'd seen in three weeks. and that fish came right up to the boat and basically just looked at me and opened his mouth and my bait came flying out. And oh, I looked at it and it was, I was flipping a little baby brush hog and it wasn't even, the hook hadn't even come through the skin of the brush hog. I got that fish all the way to the boat without ever getting the hook point through the bait. And it was the most unreal. It was like, he was just chewing on it and then came up there and was like, <laughs> and it was like, I remember watching that fish swim away and I looked at my co-angler and I said, man, what a fun day, you know, like what, how much fun is that to almost be there? I thought I had it figured out and I was like, what a fun day. <laughs> that's all I, that's wow. all I could say. I wasn't, I couldn't even find a cuss word in me at the time. So oh, that's uh, a heartbreaker. Yeah, it was, which everybody's got a story about the one that got away pretty much every tournament that ever happens, you know, but. But that one was memorable to me because I just, I felt like I'd worked really hard for that fish. And it, they say, when you know, when it's your time, you know, it's your time. And, uh, I, you know, for sure when it's not your time also. So that's for sure. You know, anybody that's fished tournaments for, for a little bit, it seems like we, we end up with more, more of uh not our time than, than it, when it is our time, but it's, it's pretty sweet when it all clicks. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, what, what bodies of water, um, I know you talked about a few already, but where, where are your home lakes? I know you got 600 of them. It seems like they're around you in Alabama that are good, but yeah. where's your yeah, favorite we're place in to go? The, <clears throat> I live right here in the, in the Mecca of bass fishing. Really, you can be on, uh, I can leave out of my driveway here on Sand Mountain and be in, uh, on the north end of Gunners Pool, like Scottsboro, Goose Pond area, in about 40 minutes. And I can be at Chester Frost Park on Chickamauga in about 35 minutes. Uh, so I kind of claim both of those. Nickajack, which is the lake on the Tennessee River between those two lakes, is like six minutes from my driveway. Um, but also, I'm an hour from the Coosa River. And I learned, I mean, I learned how to fish on Neely Henry and Weiss Lake. And so I really, those are the ones that are, that I consider my, like where I cut my teeth. So 
Um, I'd say I'm I'm a big Northern Coosa River guy, and Gunnersville has always been kind of a enigma to me. I I really didn't like it at all for a lot of years after I started bass fishing. And uh, one year I just forced myself to fish. I just fished like 20 tournaments on it and just made myself learn to love it. And uh, and now I really enjoy going there. Um, I was kind of hoping we'd end up there on the on the opens this year uh, since we were on Wheeler last year. But they're sending us to Logan Martin, which is a little bit outside. I don't, I don't think I've been on Logan Martin since uh, 2009. Uh, I fished a sheriff's office charity tournament down there, and I think I came in like 80th place or something. So really, I'll try not to draw from that experience at all when I go down there for practice. <laughs> for sure. You know, it's funny, though, you mentioned about having to make yourself like a lake, and that's the exact same way I was with Lake Lanier. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I grew up running around on Lanier. Like, you know, my dad, my uncle, they were kind of – the ones that got me into fishing, my uncle, he had an old Ranger bass boat that we used to go out on. And then kind of when they got up in age and, you know, some health conditions that were, they couldn't wind a rod all day, they got into striper mm-hmm. fishing and they actually ran a, a guide service on Lanier. And, cool. um, so I spent some time, you know, with them when I was younger, but I got to where I just hated Lanier. Like I never <laughs> wanted to go to it. And so like, I consider Hartwell kind of my, my home lake. That's where, that's where I spend most of my time. But, you know, in the last couple of years, um, I mean, you don't have to look much into, into bass fishing to see some of the crazy weights that are getting caught on, on spotted bass on Lanier. And I mean, it, I don't think it's too far fetched to say it's probably the best spotted bass fishery in the country right now. Yeah. And, I agree with um, that. and, you know, just, just hearing buddies, you know, just the way that they were going out and whacking them, it, it made me. You know, I wanted to go catch, you know, a 30 pound bag of spots because that's just unheard of, but mm-hmm. I just hate, I just hated the lake. Well, I forced myself to go a lot and, you know, started fishing it. And then when I really started having a lot of fun with it was, um, you know, a good friend of mine, he's in a little club that was putting on a Friday nighter on there. So I started going over there with him and fishing Friday nighters and just kind of screwing around and having fun with it. But I kind of got in it right on the insane topwater bite that that was on on Lanier this year so it made me it made me really like lake a lot more than I used to to the point now where you know I'll I'll go I'll go fish it a lot more than I than I would in the past but like I said I had to do the same thing you had to do on Gunnersville just kind of force myself into it yeah yeah I I like Lanier I've been there a couple of times and I know I know guys now that which is kind of it was unheard of um when I started fishing, but I know guys now that drive three or four hours, you know, two or three times a year just to go over there and fish on Lanier and catch mm-hmm. those big spots. And they didn't used to be that way, but there's some giant largemouth on that lake too. Oh um, yeah. Which I think is a, uh, is a testament just to the fishery itself and the habitat, the, uh, or the ecosystem that is able to survive there. Those, they, they grow big fish in that lake and uh, it's cool. I'd like to see us end up over there uh, at some point too, but. Well, they're going to, have to build some ramps that would actually be. Yeah, able they're going to, hold to find event. a place for us. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Even like the BFLs that go out of there, they go out of Laurel Park, way up the river. And mm-hmm. I know, well, even speaking like the NPFL, you know, they went there this year. They were there just a couple of weeks ago, or I guess now it would have been last right. week. But, you know, they do the drive through way in, you know, where mm-hmm. boat up to stage. Well, those guys were having to get 
get out there at Laurel Park and then drive all the way to to Cool Ray Stadium down towards Buford to to weigh in. And I'm just like, you know, you got this awesome fishery. Like, mm. build a freaking build a freaking ramp. I mean, all it takes is for all it really takes is for one uh, of the municipalities around there to recognize kind of like Dayton did up on Chickamauga and like Gunnersville is embraced on the south end of Gunnersville. There are, once a town realizes the positive benefits of having those big tournament trails come through once mm-hmm. or twice, three times a year, and the type of money that it really um, just surges into your uh, into your local economy, that somebody will do it. Um yeah, somebody like Buford or, or coming or somebody like step up, do it. Cause I guarantee you, if, if you build the facility and do it, like it won't take long. And I'd say you'd see a classic on Lanier. No, I agree. Like, I agree. Like, could you, like, that would be big, be pre, big pre spawn tournament on, on oh, Lanier. Yeah. Like, that would, that would be a good time. You'd see some record, record weights come out of it too. Oh, a hundred percent. And I mean, there's, there's, pl- there's plenty of facilities like in, in those towns that could, you know, host the way in, host the expo and all those things mm-hmm. like they do with the classic. It's just, you just got to have a ramp that can hold those kind of people. Cause I remember right. when I, I went up to Green Pond on, on day one of the classic, the last time it was on Hartwell. And I mean, there was like 2000 people at the ramp for, for takeoff on day one. Like, yeah. You know, you, you gotta you gotta have a facility that can have have a turnout like that. You know, plus you know vendor space and and all that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just gonna take somebody investing in that to be able to to host an event like that on Lanier. But it's a special fishery, no doubt. And I I'm glad yeah. that I I forced myself to to really appreciate it because where my where I live, I'm I'm on Lanier in about thirty minutes, and I'm on Hartwell in about thirty minutes. I'm right in between them. Yeah, that's so perfect. It, it's awesome having it, you know, what I would call in my backyard here. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. You know, I remember, I think when I first started fishing the Opens, um, that first one that I fished, uh, Dayton was coming along. Like, they had already started fish Dayton and uh, had their team there. And But the Dayton boat dock hadn't renovated. It wasn't, the parking lot wasn't very big. The parking wasn't great. And I think we ended up driving. Uh, and having the weigh-in at the uh, from there, we drove the fish all the way back down to the Bass Pro Shop for the weigh-in, and that was like a little over an hour drive. And I remember thinking, man, if it was only a place that we could do this a little bit closer, you know. Um, yeah. And I didn't really realize that. I guess it just goes to show you, like, what how much growth there still is available in the sport. Um, because we traveled all over the country this year. I saw places, drove into states that I'd never been into in my life and saw places with absolute phenomenal fisheries with thousands of fish, the kind of places that you can catch fish every cast or every other cast from daylight to dark. And uh, it felt like several of the communities just hadn't embraced it yet. And I, I don't understand it. You know, in, I don't remember, I'm, I'm not going to quote the year, but like 2018, 19, something like that. Um, Non-commercial fishing was like a $2.8 billion industry. And that was just license sales and equipment. You know, that was just your, Mm -hmm. everybody going on the bank and 
fishing, taking their grandkids and stuff like that. And it's only grown since then. I mean, it's a huge, huge industry as far as the, the benefit to local economies. And so I would love to see more smaller municipalities take on that role and, uh, build some places for our, you know, the bigger trails that we've got to really come and spread their wings and, and feel comfortable. I promise you, uh, MLF and bass, they will do anything they can to promote those fisheries and those towns and, um, and bring that, you know, a lot of times much needed, uh, surge of, of, uh, money into those into those local economies so i'd love to see it happen in more places yeah i'm glad you mentioned that because that's what i was about to say you know when when these trails come in it's not like that you know we're just coming in taking up space doing our thing like we're i know mlf specifically like every time we go to a bfl they have like you know a community relation there where they're part they're partnering with an organization from the community that's in in that host town that we're in you know that's helping with promotion that's helping with you know even down to like lodging and and meals and stuff like that to where anglers that that are traveling from out of town it makes it super easy for us like working with oh, these yeah. community with these community groups because you kind of take for granted some things of you know where's the most convenient place for me to stay where should i go eat like where can I get the, you know, you know, gas, ice, like, you know, the, the little things that, that you don't really think about until you're in an area that, that you're not familiar with. But that's what I'm, one thing I really like about MLF is, and I know Bass does it too, but, you know, they really try to get, you know, build partnerships with people inside the communities at these host towns where we, and I've seen them do some bizarre things to try to, to be, be at a certain area to, to use different ramps to, you know, to help stimulate that, that local economy and stuff, because, you know, mm -hmm. they want to be able to, they want to be able to come back next year and the year after and the year after that. And then, you know, for other trails that they do, the high school, the college stuff, um, you know, it's, it's not like a, we just want to come in one day, like a college rager, trash it and leave. Like, right. you know, th these right. organizations want these long-term relationships so that we can help, you know, keep that fishery what it is and then make it even better so that we can come back and continue to enjoy this. So that when my, when my sons start, you know, tournament bass fishing, they're able to go to these lakes and enjoy it the same way you and I are. Absolutely. It's not, so, it's not like we're inviting a whole bunch of, uh, uh, a bunch of meat eaters into every town to, to take all the fish out of the lake and go home and have a big fish fry. I mean, you're most of the time, well, I can say for sure with bass, you're, we are, you're bringing 200 of the strongest conservation minded fishermen in the country into your area. And all they want to do is catch them and be able to catch them again the next year. And so, uh, they're really, I mean, sometimes they get a bad rap, you know, there's always a perfect storm where you've got a tournament and the, the weather's awful and the water turns, the lake turns over and there's not enough oxygen and it's hot and the fish are deep or whatever the situation is that causes that high mortality rate. And it happens. Um, but I mean, I don't know with these large organizations, I don't know. Nobody does anything any more for conservation and the sport of, of especially bass fishing than, than these guys. And, um, 
So there's really no reason for a community to not be excited about seeing us coming. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, on the fish care thing, you know, it's easy to see some of those, those issues when, when MLF or when bass comes in because there's cameras everywhere. Right. Whereas the the reality of it is, you know, I go and fish, like I said, that, that Friday night or, you know, just local tournaments and stuff. And you can be on the lake the next day or two. And just to see the fish that, they're floating around after those where there's like no, you know, there's no fish care involved. Like there's no, these guys, I don't want to say they don't care, but it's just like they don't go to the same lengths as, as bass and MF MLF to make sure, you know, that, that the resource is being taken care of. You know, they don't have the, you know, the holding tanks with, you know, oxygenators in it and everything else while you're leading up to weigh in and release boats that are taking the fish back out. Like they're just dumping them off the dock and, um, you know, pulling them out of 40 foot of water and, and not fizzing them and, and things like that. So, you know, as, you know, as a tournament angler, you know, conservation always has to be in the forefront of your mind because I don't want this to be my last season that I get to fish competitively, you know, right. I, I'm already looking like I got a, my oldest son, he turns four in January and like, he already loves being on the lake. He loves going fishing every every chance we can. And like, I'm just sitting here patiently waiting. Like I cannot wait to be able to, to fish a tournament with my son. Like just, just a local tournament, whatever. As soon as he's able to like stay focused and stay on the lake all day, like I cannot wait to start running local stuff with him but I want that mm-hmm. resource to exist and I want it to be better so that I can teach him what little bit I know, which isn't much, but then give him that foundation that he can build on it and, you know, reach his goals significantly faster than I, than I am. Right. Right. Yeah. That makes it, I'm, I'm in the same boat. My son just turned six uh, and we went to the lake. Actually, that's all he wants to do is hunt and fish. And we went to the lake for his birthday and he like officially made his caught his first fish making his own cast, filling the bite, setting the hook, and fighting it to the boat. And I was like, "Man, we're you can't stop us now. We're cooking with grease. Like if I can if I can get him to focus for more than about three hours at a time, we'll be fishing tournaments together." Yeah, I'm gonna build some of those team trails. That's right. That's right. <laughs> that kid, he's uh he's eat up with it. I thought I liked it, but he loves it. And that's awesome. That's what, seeing it through their eyes is just, it's incredible. Like I, yeah. I love it with, you know, my son, he's not to the point of, he's not casting and, and setting the hook and all, but he'll reel one in. And, uh, oh, yeah. you know, we yeah. started him out on like a little kid rod and he don't even like that anymore because he associates that like dad's rods catch more fish, mm-hmm. you know? So now we'll usually take a, you know, just take one of my spinning rods, put a little swim bait on it and, I'll try to, you know, live scope some schools and stuff just to where, you know, something to bite fast, but he'll reel every one of them in. And he thinks he has to like hold and touch and take a picture with every single fish that comes <laughs> in. Just, he get he gets like this giddy laugh every time we flip a fish in the boat and it, it doesn't get old. That's cool, man. No, you'll have, never get have, over that. I have more fun watching him catch 12 inch bass than I do, you know, you know, the, the bass yeah. that I caught last year that won that, that big bass plaque behind me. Like I care mm-hmm. more, I care more about watching him catch these little dinks than that, that large mouth that got me a paycheck. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, at the end of the day, I think that's what it's about anyway. I mean, we're only le- really, when we leave this earth, we're only leaving one thing behind and it's the, 
the life that we led and the the kids that we raised to mm-hmm. to take our place. And I yeah. think that uh, I think that's the most important thing anyway. So yeah, that's your legacy right there. Yeah. You know, yeah. who's going to, who's going to remember you the most, the ones that you invested your time into or the ones that watched you, you know, chase your dream. That's right. Nobody, nobody's going to remember who won the, the third Bassmaster Open in 2024, but he'll remember, you know, absolutely. He'll, he'll, he'll know he'll, exactly he'll, what I showed him and what he, what we did together. And that's what matters. Mm-hmm. And he'll remember those Sunday evenings that y'all went and spent on the lake together. That's right. Well, Trip, what would you say, you know, we, we, we've talked a lot about, about tournaments, kind of obviously our passions for it. I think we're both equally competitive when it comes to it. So say we got some people that were, that were like us before we got into, you know, actually taking that leap into getting into these higher level tournaments. What's some, some advice that you might give somebody that's, you know, looking at maybe taking that step out of the the local level, and maybe even if it's just jumping in a BFL or fishing the opens or or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. What 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 do you wish somebody would have told you when you were mentally preparing yourself for taking that step? Um, you know, I think the most important part is to just know yourself. Uh, as as well as you can really know what makes you tick and what you're capable of uh, before you put yourself in a situation to be you know judged on a uh on a weight sheet um, because you got to know that you can catch fish and that you understand the water and and why fish do what they do it doesn't always matter why they do what they do but you need to know what they do and where they're doing it and so I'd say the most important thing to me is just making sure that you feel that you're comfortable in what you're doing. And I, I think that um, fishing currently uh, competitive tournament angling right now is kind of, uh, it's really in a weird place. And I think over the next three to five years or so, we're going to see a lot of things change. We're going to see a lot of things go back to where they kind of were maybe five or six years ago. Um, and I think that uh, I think it's going to take on a much different look than it does now as far as the way the the programs work and the rules and what's allowed and what's not. There's a lot of uh, emphasis right now. I mean, people say you can't win if you don't know electronics. And uh, I don't agree with that at all. There's a lot of times that I go fishing and don't even turn them on. Um, but I think that if you, when you get to the level that you're interested in fishing, you know, like something like we're doing fishing Toyotas and opens and trying to make it, uh, make it what you do for a living. You can't really afford that luxury. That's something that I'm, that I had to come to Jesus with earlier this year was that, I know I can catch fish and I can catch them up shallow. You know, I used to say if, if my boat was over 10 foot of water, then something happened. You know, I like, I broke down and drifted out there, you know, but, um, the truth is, um, you've got to be as well rounded as, as possible. When you look at the, the pros that are, that we consider to be the top of the top on, on either side, bass or MLF, the Brandon Polinux and the, 
Jacob Wheelers and those guys, they understand every technique, every type of fish, every type of fishery. They know where to go look and uh, and find fish that will win tournaments. And it's important to have that type of confidence and that type of time on the water and experience with all the different techniques and stuff because you got to know how to catch them. Don't, don't think that because you enjoy tournament fishing that you can step up into some of these higher level places and, uh, and just continue with, with lucky success because it really doesn't, luck doesn't play much of a part into it these days. I'd say 10%. Well, that luck's not sustainable for, for a whole season. That's right. You have to get real lucky. You know, we thought at the beginning of this year, I talked to several of the guys in the EQs, several of the guys that had been fishing opens. And we really felt like that if you could sustain a low to mid fifties finish through the year, average finish through the year, that you'd probably be looking at a top 10 in points by the end of the season. And uh, we were way off. I mean, those guys, the guys that made it to the elites this year averaged like like a 28th place finish, which is unfathomable Crazy. when you think about the places that we went. And JT was uh, his worst finish, I think, was like 42nd or 49th at uh, Ufala, our very first tournament. And then he didn't fall out of the top 30 again for a single tournament. I think he had like four top 10s and he won one. And, it, yeah. and that kind of... That's not ability. Luck. Just for y'all know, that's that not is, luck. That is no. not luck. No, that is an absolute uh, hammer on the water. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and I was proud for him. I'm proud to see young guys like that be able to put it together so so well and and hold on to it. Um, I wish that I. <clears throat> we all. I mean, we all say it. We all. All of us that are in our late 30s and up wish that there had been high school and college level fishing teams when we were doing it and um and that the sponsors in the industry were as interested in getting folks our age into the fishing community as they are now yeah um, you know all i heard about when i was in high school and college was you need to get your degree and go get a job and start making money and quit worrying about doing things like fishing and uh, they give out scholarships for that stuff now, you know, that's I mean, what you I always get said. Degree fishing. Yeah. And that's what I said. Like it would have, if you wanted me to finish school and fishing had been an option when I was in school, I would have never played sports probably because let's no. be honest, me and my buddies, well, wh where I grew up, it was either like play sports or do drugs. And mm -hmm. so me and all my buddies, we were like skipping practice and skipping school to go fishing. Like if you wanted to keep us in school, like I can only imagine what we would have been able to do if there had been a, a high school bass fishing team at my high school or, oh, yeah. or college or whatever. Like, yeah, that That's I right. was, I joked for a while just saying that I was born in the wrong time. I was born about five years too, too early. Yeah. That's me too. Either, either I was born too early or too late. I could have been born 200 years ago. I would have loved to have been a pirate. Me and Jimmy Buffett, <laughs> we would have been pirates, but, um, uh, I just, uh, as a matter of fact, I, I my entire uh, persona next year, I think, is going to take on that of somewhat some some kind of pirate feel. I've got I've got the boat done for next year already, and it's uh, 
it's got like the Jolly Rogers in the background and the ghost graphics in the background. It's got a bunch of the Fisher Dive logos, decals on it. And um, I'm just, I'm really excited about that. I told the guys down at Excel when they were doing the boat that um, he asked me if I had anything in mind for a theme. And I said, man, I really just want to go drive a pirate ship around all, all year if I can. So uh, I think they hit that on the, hit that on the head for me. So. Yeah, so right there it is, everybody. If you're if you're watching this this on the video, you you can see the see the pirate theme there, the Jolly Rogers theme on on Trip's boat wrap there that he'll be running running next year, and I love it. I mean, it's it's clean, but then it's got that it's got that background in there that really really stands out. I I like that a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. I'm excited about it. We I completely inverted it too. I was I was the wrap was all black this year and. Uh, wanted I wanted to do something to set us set us apart next year, just visually at least um, at blast offs and things of that nature. There were a lot of black boats and matte finish boats and stuff this year in the in the tournaments, and I just felt like we needed to stand out a little more. Um, you know, a lot of that at this level when you get up uh, when you get to a certain point, it, things like that, your visibility and your uh, ability to carry yourself on the stage and maintain the audience's attention when you're talking on the mic and things of that nature. That's what sets a lot of us off also. And some things that I felt like I needed to work on through the year, I'm going to get try to try to get better about next year too, is just uh, developing that on stage and uh, public persona that, that people are interested in seeing. I mean, you know, as long as you've been following bass fishing, you know, there are guys that have that personality and they can command a room. Doesn't matter if they hadn't caught a fish in 20 years. I mean, we're going anytime General Swindle puts a video on the internet, I'm going to watch it until he's gone. You know what I mean? Because he's That's just exactly uh, he's who one. I was about to mention. Yeah. Well, I mean, those guys, he's, I mean, he's one that always sticks out because he is so special in who he is. Um, Ike and Ellie's the same way. Um, but really even Kevin Van Dam, Kevin Van Dam, you put his face on a screen and let him start talking about something and I'm going to tractor beam in on him. You know what I mean? Just because he's, when you carry that persona of a person who, um, cares about what they're doing and cares about other people doing it and, uh, carries yourself well in the public and, you know, you're not out there pissing people off every time you get on the water or getting in some fight, you know, that kind of thing frustrates me because uh, i think that at the at the end of the day like this year we had 173 guys in the eq and i think honestly i think all 173 of us would have been happy for all 173 of us to make it you know and um i don't think there's it's not necessary to have like a i don't know a bad boy persona or the guy that's got to get out there and piss everybody off or I mean, some people use that to their advantage because there's not a lot of us that like being that guy. Um, right. But I think it is important, though, to carry yourself well and maintain some type of personality that, that folks can uh, relate to. And so that's what we're going to work on some this year. Well, that's awesome, man. We definitely uh, we look forward to, to following you throughout the EQs this next year. Um, wish you the best of luck and you'll be right here come October, right here in my area I hope so. up here on Hartwell. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, that's a, that's a fun time on that lake. It is. Um, I'm excited about it. I've had my, uh, one of my better tournaments, probably my better best tournament I've had there was in November 
Uh, I fished uh, the ABA's national championship, the, uh, the Ray Scott national championship, I think was three years ago, four years mm-hmm. ago now over there. And uh, I really enjoyed that tournament. And uh, I had only been there a couple of times before, but I like that, that lake, that type of year, you can catch them pretty much any way you want to. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to be back there. I got lucky this year. I think we've got this, this past year, 23 season, we had nine tournaments and I had been to two of the lakes before. And next year, I think I've been to like six of the nine, which is significantly better for me to have some, at least some early earlier knowledge about how to run around on them and where I found, you know, what type of areas I found fish in in the past. So I'm excited about it. So are we, man. We look forward to it. So for anybody that wants to follow along with you, where can they, uh, where can they follow you on social media or, or where else? Yeah. So I've got a, I've got a um, Facebook fishing page. It's just trip Nugent fishing. And then I've also got a um, Instagram account that I probably spend more time on than, than anything. And it's uh, Eddie J underscore Nuge. It's a remnant from a old high school nickname, but, um, Betty J Nuge is that's me on Instagram. So, uh, come give me a like and a follow. And I try to follow everybody else back to you. I think it's, uh, it's, it's so crazy to me in all these communities, how folks just, uh, are so uh, eager to have as much support as they can get, but so reluctant to give support back. So I try to, you give me a like and a follow, I'm going to give you a follow and, and we'll, uh, We'll watch us all do this thing together. That's awesome, man. Yeah, well, like I said, we definitely look forward to uh, to seeing what you do next year. Hopefully, the you know about this time we can have you back on and start talking about your elite series plans and and things man, of that nature. Cool. But uh, you know, we, we appreciate you coming and jumping on. You kind of um, you already answered one of our our questions that we that we throw out to our guests, you know, about some fishing memories, you know, you talked about some good times you had on, you know, the Harris chain and stuff through the, through the EQs this year. But there, there's one other question that we like to ask. And we're going to slide this in there real quick before we wrap up, you know, what, when, in, in all your prep, when you're loading the boat and loading your truck and, and heading out to the lake, what is one thing that you always have to take with you fishing that has absolutely nothing to do with fishing? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a tough one because I, my wife would say that I carry every. I I take the kitchen sink with me when I go. Make the trucks full, <laughs> the boats full. You know, there's nothing. People, people go to Bass Pro Shop to see if they can find what they need, and when Bass Pro doesn't have it, they come find me on the water somewhere because I've probably got it in the boat. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. The regular answer would be. I mean, I every a lot of us carry toilet paper out there because, you know, sometimes you got to do what you got to do. And sometimes you can't find a place to get off the boat. You just do what you got to do in the water. But, um, I've got you, a little, you and me uh, on a very similar thought process there. Cause mine was, uh, I keep my, my handy pack of dude wipes there for that, yeah. you know, that, that maintenance wipe whenever you got to get things cleaned up afterwards. Yeah. Um, man, I don't know. I keep a little uh, Hulk figurine, a little action figurine that I got in a, you know, I spent a lot of years in law enforcement. I've touched on, I said that earlier, and uh, 
early on in my career, I got really interested in the training aspects of it. And I spent a lot of time um, developing my skills in firearms and tactical team movements and things of that nature. And uh, I went through, I kind of had a few, I guess, idols in that space that were, that were just the, the, the best of the best in training in that area at the time. And I went through one of their classes early on. It was like a, I think it was a, uh, like a dark gunfighter class. It was all about, um, being in a gunfight around, uh, vehicles and low light conditions and, um, less than stellar, uh, conditional situations. And I, um, ended up winning at some point I won some type of little competition in it uh or a couple of different little things and at the end of the week the instructors kind of had some things to give out to folks and they uh like specifically identified a couple of us as real standouts in the class and they brought me this little figurine they said that they gave a superhero to every to one at least one person in every class and they brought me this little hulk figurine because they felt like that was my persona out there in that class and i've carried that thing with me everywhere i've gone for probably shoot man it's probably been 13 14 years now and um so that he goes everywhere with me i've always got the hulk somewhere in the boat or on the dash of the truck or and now he's like one of my six-year-old's favorite people in the world too so uh, that's awesome we got we've always got some hulk stuff around <laughs> that's a good one for sure well, Trip, this has been a this has been a great conversation. I've uh, I've really enjoyed being able to to talk about some stuff that I'm a little more familiar with and kind of get to step away from the the fly fishing content that we that we've been putting yeah. out lately. That's kind of been more more Justin and Papa's world over there. So it was this was a this was a nice break for me. But uh, we cool. greatly appreciate you coming help. on. Absolutely. So we we yeah, look forward you to. Yeah, we look forward to having or having you back on again sometime. But then we, uh, you know, wish you the best of luck on your season. Uh, we'll be keeping track of it and you know following along with you. And so for all of our all of our listeners out there, make sure you head over and, and give Trip a follow and, and show him some love uh, throughout his season. And then while you're on there, make sure if you're not already, um, go check out the Fish Lift Eat official on Instagram. And then we're also on TikTok at Fish Lift Eat. And then uh, so to go pick up all your, your fish lift eat gear so that we can, can see it out there on the water and what you're doing with it, head over to huntlifteat.com and um, get you a shirt, a hat, and all that good stuff, you know, gearing up for the holidays here and uh, tag us in it and so that we can uh, so that we can follow along with you as well. But um, until next week, y'all keep them lines wet, and we'll catch you on the next cast. See you.